It's the Morgan Evans More or Less Pickleball Podcast coming at you in three, two, one, boom. G'day, pickle people. Today we endeavor to pick up where we left off with my time with Mr. Mike Brennan. The man definitely has some words of wisdom, so if you haven't listened to part one yet, then, well, I'm a little disappointed, but I'll give you some time. Seriously, now go back and listen to it. Okay, done? Great. Now welcome back, Mr. Mike Brennan. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the whole idea that we've heard the cliche, money doesn't buy happiness, time and time again, and some people will say, well, the person who invented that saying didn't have much money. He probably didn't, but I think where the confusion comes is money can buy pleasure, and pleasure is easily confused with happiness. There you go. For me, and I'm curious on your take on this, there's no true happiness without adversity, without service to others. I find, you know, without a challenge, and I'm, I'm notoriously bad in terms of sticking with things, I'll do something until I feel like I've got a good hang of it, and then I'll move on. I'm just constantly searching for new challenges to fill a void and that's why I'm, I'm focusing right now on teaching more than playing. I, I felt like I probably jumped the shark with my play, but I wanted to try to become the best pickleball coach I could be. Who knows if that's in the cards, but I can't stop myself from trying to take up golf and poetry and baking. and It never ends. One thing that I applaud and I, I recommend in the book, this is basically the first thing I write about, is developing your growth mindset. Some of us have that just instinctively. You obviously have that. But when you look at people, I think it was Dr. Carol Dwyer that wrote the book about the growth mindset. And if you look at yourself uh, and you look at others around you, you can tell pretty quickly if people have a growth or a fixed mindset. The growth mindset loves learning. It embraces challenge. It doesn't have too much ego. It doesn't really, if you have too much ego and too much, it leads to a lot of fear. You, you get very defensive and you're afraid to take chances and you're unable to even take criticism because you're so busy defending yourself. That growth mindset, there's a lot of things in this life to explore. And I love what you're saying. If it can be sports, it can be poetry. You know, I've become a real podcast junkie. I just, right now I'm learning about uh, subatomic particle physics and Ooh. medieval history. Oh, let's let's do quantum mechanics next time. Ooh, that's a, that's I'm into it. I'm into all it. All right, all right. Special uh, relativity. Let's get into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't understand it at all, but I love talking about it and, uh, <laughs> and getting getting a little trippy. But no, the growth mindset is if you cultivate it in yourself, and I and I actually have this roadmap in my book that kind of leads you to try to acquire that or at least practice it. It's an amazing feeling when you continue to reach and seek in life. I don't know. It's hard to say, you know, you get it, but life is so precious. And why settle for the status quo? Why not just reach a little further? And whether that's reaching out to help someone in need or to get a new skill, try to look at things differently or travel. I mean, this is our opportunity. Is One of my uh, spiritual mentors is Ram Das, who's a, a Hindu sage. He says something to the effect that, that, yes, we're all divine beings, but while we're here, let's take the curriculum. Mm. <laughs> and I always love that. So let's do it. That's very good. I like yeah. it. Yeah, I find you can so often tell when someone doesn't have a growth mindset after a match that they've lost and they come yeah. and they come to you and you ask them how it went and the first thing they do is throw their partner under the bus. 
um, <laughs> because they can't, for them, it would be too much of a hit to their ego, to how they define themselves, that they were responsible for it versus the person who does have the growth mindset and is able to take responsibility, understand the lessons learned and, and grow from it. Perfectly said. And life is just so much easier when you're not on red alert 24-7 trying to protect your image and disguise your faults. You know, mm. I think one of the, the best things I've experienced in life is I've met a lot of wealthier people through my nonprofits, you know, trying to solicit donors and so forth. And I love it when you talk to someone who's really quite wealthy and you engage them in a conversation about what it is to fail and how as you mentioned a little bit earlier, how adversity really is the, the fertile ground for growth. And when you talk about people's fears and failures and have an honest conversation, it's just so much more revealing than talking about your resume and all your strong points. I mean, anybody can put together a great mixtape of their, of their greatest hits. Yeah. But how about like spending a little time with someone and saying, and I love it, like, you were so honest. Like when I, I came to America and my mental health was dragging me down and I was, I was confused and whatever. See, that's the kind of vulnerability I think that leads to you actually getting somewhere in life. Until you do that, I think it's a pretty shallow existence. So I, I yeah. encourage everybody to share those kinds of things with, with people that are close to them. And, and you'll find that everybody has a story like that. Certainly. I think, you know, relating it back to the pickleball sort of world, I find so many people out there that are so reluctant to make mistakes. They're so reluctant to do anything that might cause failure. Could be teaching them on a weekly basis sometimes. And yet when I see them out in the wild playing, they, they're so <laughs> reluctant to make those mistakes. And, you know, yeah. I often have to have some, some tough words with them and illustrate the point that unless you're failing, you're likely just doing something you can already do. Yeah. You have to embrace the failure. You know, you have to fall a bunch of times to learn how to get up. I couldn't agree more. And then there's also those students and, and some that I've worked with as well, that they're really not interested in getting better. They just like hitting the ball around with their group of friends that is about their same level. And they don't really care if they get much better because that's kind of outside their comfort zone. And that's perfectly fine too. I mean, I think that's wonderful. If you can find a group and you don't always have to be the one that's, that's striving to improve. But I think the majority of us, we find it just really rewarding. Just, you know how it is when you, when you teach someone, my students, when I teach them a new skill and you just watch their eyes light up. And, yeah. you say, oh, and you just see in their little minds, that, oh, I can't wait to spring this on Gretchen and Tanya next time we get out there. Mm. I'm going to flick that ball off them and give a little fist pump. And <laughs> I mean, we, we all love that little spark of discovery. It's, it's, I think, again, bringing it much back more to pickleball, the reason we play is because it's fun. I mean, it's, it, you, there's always something to learn and discover and, and you can rib your opponents and your partner about it. Uh, you know, I come from the world of competitive basketball, and it was very much not like that. It was much more doggy dog. So pickleball is like, as I've gotten older, man, this is just the perfect thing. You know, I still get my competitive Jones in, but you know, I get to be a, a little mischievous and have fun, but keep learning. So yeah, obviously, I wrote a book about it. I must like it. Yes, no, and you've nailed it. So you, as a pickleball coach, tell me what are some of the kind of important basics you like to teach to your students. I think the number one thing, I give them these, these series of handouts when I first start working with them. And I do really want to get their mind right first and say, you know what? You are blessed to be out here. This is about fun. And you definitely will fail. 
And you will definitely have things that you're not going to just pick up right away, especially if you don't have that kinetic chain developed through other racket sports. You know how it is to teach people from scratch how to hold a paddle, how to put it in the right spot out in front of you instead of off to your side. So I really go over the basics. First, make sure to have a good time. And then as far as the actual basics of the game, I think one of the main things I try to do is to make sure they keep that paddle out in front of them. You know, so many people, when they turn their body, the paddle just comes back along with them for the ride. And I really try to teach them that how you can turn your shoulders, but still actually keep extending your paddle out away from them. So you, they don't, the paddle doesn't turn back with the shoulders. And then I also really try to get people very comfortable with the idea of short to long on your strokes really get, again, another uh, offshoot of having your paddle in the proper position. So yeah. those are the basics, I think. I mean, obviously, there's we could talk all day about this. Oh, for sure. Especially, yeah, with beginner players, those are the main things. And I find that once they do that, then we've got a basis that we can build upon. Those sound like fantastic basics to work on. I am a huge believer in you know being able to disconnect your body's movement from your paddle's movement. So you can you can be moving back but leaving your paddle forward so as to not have a big backswing for a shot that needs a very small backswing. Yeah. That's something I, I noticed a little while ago I did a shot analysis on Riley Newman and his two handed backhand dink. Um, I saw that. He has this amazing way of really propelling his body backwards and at the same time unhinging his shoulders almost, leaving the paddle so far out in front so he, he still is able to kind of basically massage the ball into the perfect place. It's almost hypnotic. Yeah, that's definitely beyond my pay grade, but I love watching him do it. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I got a question for you. Like you, oh, yeah. you talked about moving backwards as you're still being able to hit the ball. And that's one thing I work really hard with my students, and I would love your opinion on this, is I want them to keep their weight steady or forward. I hate to see them when they're too close to the baseline receiving a serve and they have to be back on their heels and their weight's going backwards on either a return of serve or, or going backwards on a third shot drop and I keep watching the ball land short. With beginner players, do you really try to keep their weight steady and forward as well? Or do you think there's a case, can you teach people that unattached move that Riley has? Uh, that's a good question. I, I mean, I think when someone's getting started, unless you, you know that it is an elite athlete that is going to be destined for 5-0 within the week. Yeah. I think you're, you're absolutely right. Keeping the base solid is your best chance to coordinate the upper body and, and therefore the paddle. Something like a third shot drop or even you, your average kind of dink is a very, yeah. very precise kind of shot. And you would very easily overcomplicate things if you were to introduce a lot of different weight transfers. I think you can illustrate the point to your students that there are two types of balance static balance you know standing still i'm statically balanced but then there's dynamic balance so how mm -hmm. your body moves in, in a balanced fashion if you can get them to use a compact and efficient technique uh, on those third balls then they probably do have a right to be transitioning from their back foot to their front foot but still having their center of gravity between those two balance points certainly not over toppling forward and needing an extra balancing step just to to catch them from falling over that would be where i would err on the side of teaching someone that i've seen some great professional players that hit fantastic third balls off their back foot yeah and give them the license to pull up on the ball uh, on a steeper angle have a little more paddle head speed knowing they're not going to overpower the shot with you know weight transfer that would otherwise be stable or, or coming forward kyle yates is a good example of that yeah. When I originally wrote my book, I had my pickleball interviews 
And then I had my instructional part right next to it. The tricky thing about writing this book is that it is, it's called Pickleball and the Art of Living. So I don't want to scare away people that aren't pickleball players, at least haven't drunk the Kool-Aid yet. And so uh, my dad was a great writer and he, he took a look at the book and he stumbled over that as well. And he said, what about shifting it somewhere else in the book? And I came up with the idea of what I called the Pickleball Postscript. And so I actually put the instructional section at the end of the book. I have my big finish and talk about the meaning of life. And then I've just tried to summarize what I think are these main points we're talking about and trying to cut away all the chaff and just make very simple analyses of certain parts of the game. So hopefully people that read it will get something out of it. More advanced players, probably not, but uh, I think the rank and file, hopefully they'll enjoy that and it'll help them to bring their game up a bit too. I'm sure they will. And if they come to me and they haven't read it, I will instruct them to do so. Don't you worry. <laughs> first thing first, right? <laughs> read this book. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Once you've read that, come back to me in three months. All, um, all will be clear. Yes. <laughs> We're going to hold things just there briefly for a quick word from our sponsor, Coach Me Pickleball. So, you're engaged in a dinking rally and it occurs to you that you're getting picked on by your opponents. Maybe your soft game is weaker than your partner's, or perhaps your opponents are just testing to see if you can handle the pressure. For now, we need a strategy to get you off the hot seat. Most players are far more comfortable dinking cross-court than they are down the line, and with good reason. There's a lot more margin for error cross-court. To get yourself out of trouble, it's time to start dinking down the line. Not just once, not just twice. Do it continuously until your opponent either takes the risk of attacking you or redirects to your partner. If they are comfortable dinking down the line with you, then you can instantly make yourself the most dangerous player on the court by straddling the sideline and the kitchen line. Or if you're feeling very ambitious, by attempting the famous Ernie shot. Remember, it's the threat of these things more than anything else that's going to force your opponents to think twice about attacking you, and you'll get off the hot seat. For more lessons on a variety of topics, go to coachmepickleball.com. Ah, you'd be crazy not to sign up for that, let's be honest. <laughs> So now you, you discussed the concept of hardwiring happiness, um, which yeah. is a very interesting concept. And I remember reading a long time ago a, a paper that addressed something similar, I think perhaps the exact same thing. And it talked about how a person's kind of default happiness is largely set as a child. And they could very easily spend their entire adulthood basically always being drawn to that default setting. So children who have wonderful childhoods and are, are happy as can be are very likely to go forth and always be seeking and with any luck achieving that level of happiness throughout their adult life. At the same time, those who had a miserable childhood, it might seem an obvious kind of thing for, uh, you know, to look at someone who's generally unhappy and say, well, why don't you do this, this, and this to make you, you know, make you more happy? But realistically, they're comfortably unhappy. That's what they've known. And for them to go outside the little boundaries of where their kind of default happiness setting is would be incredibly uncomfortable. As they say, the comfort zone is a, a beautiful place, but nothing grows there. Yeah. Is, that, uh, is that something you, you think about? And how does it apply to the pickleball experience? Hardwiring happiness, when I, I read that book many years ago, and it had a profound effect on me. What you're talking about as far as the effects of your childhood, a lot of it has to do, well, it can be just be the bad luck of what environment you end up in. But a lot of that is attributable to what they call trait theory. You've got these psychological traits, even within, you know, I've got two brothers and the three of us, 
we have a lot of similarities, but on some fundamental levels, we're incredibly different. Same parents, you know, same genetic background. And I'm sure anybody who has siblings or has kids is, is seeing the same thing. And, and sometimes you go, as a parent, you may go, wow, what did I do wrong? Or what did I do right? I mean, you don't even know. The thing is, you didn't do anything wrong or right, is that these little scoundrels come out of the womb and, and sometimes they just, they're just wired a certain way. So you have that individual wiring, which at times it takes professional help and therapy to, for them to kind of get outside of that comfort zone like you talked about. Mm. There's also a negative bias that is hardwired into every single one of us human beings. We are the products of those, I think I bring up a funny example in the book, at least I thought it was funny. You got these two cavemen and one of them is, uh, he is looking behind every rock for that saber-toothed tiger. He is looking behind every tree. He sees trouble everywhere he goes. This guy, by the way, is our ancestor because he survived. Mm -hmm. The guy that went around the forest uh, taking deep cleansing breaths and, and thinking about mindfulness and picking flowers, he became lunch. So, uh, you know, that evolutionary cautiousness and looking for the negative is wired in all of us. So we do need to do some rewiring. Once we realize that this exists within us, we can start taking positive steps. And, and what you do, this isn't my idea, I'm just passing on the good news. Mm. But notice what happens, like I could drive my car for tens of thousands of miles without any single problem. And I don't think twice about that. But then I come out to the parking lot and somebody's put a big door ding in my car and I just go crazy. How could this happen? How could they do this to my car? How could they do this to me? You know, I, I get so aggravated, but I don't even think twice about all the, the many months and years I've had with no problems whatsoever. So hardwiring happiness is about simply noticing when things go right and then spending time reveling in that feeling. Interesting. It's like, think about your pickleball game. If you watch and listen to people, I just love watching people from the sidelines. You know, there's this great place at Bobby Riggs, right? You can sit up in the, in the balcony yeah. and kind of look down on the world. I know you've been there. And you notice the people that it's every time there's a good shot, they just walk back to their position stoically. Every time there's a bad shot, it's an eye roll if your partner does it. It's a, mm. a grimace or a grunt if, if you do it. They just are wallowing the negative. And the positive things that happen don't get a second thought. When you start to do this rewiring and pickleball in different parts of your life, it's amazing the difference it makes. I, I just can't say enough about it. It's yeah. made such a huge difference for me. So I, I recommend it to anybody. Just play that game for a while. See what happens. Do you think doing that, though, requires people, for the purpose of the exercise, just disconnecting their emotional attachment to the outcome? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's huge for me. It's something that stops people in their tracks. Yeah, no doubt. And, and obviously easier said than done. But when you think about it, an outcome is really seen by a lot of people as a reflection on their self-worth. I either won or I lost. And a lot of that is, is our culture leading us around by the nose and saying, you know, you're either a winner or a loser. And uh, it's just not that simple. I like winning as much as the next guy, but I like winning that comes from, you know, putting forth good effort. And if I happen to lose, it's not a, an opportunity for self-condemnation. Again, pickleball is an apt metaphor for life. You can learn a lot out there and apply it in the big wide world and watch it make a difference. Certainly. I think the largest obstacle I, I tend to encounter on a day-to-day -day basis when I'm teaching is people's kind of inability to see a path, like a roadmap for their development. Right. Their ceiling, you know, for most players, isn't so much governed by their athletic ability. A person can change their body a lot easier than they can change their mind. I often imagine if someone's 
development was given to someone else's responsibility. So we're all assigned a person that had no you know, emotional attachment to the other person at all. And mm-hmm. I think if, if that was to happen, you'd start seeing people being forced to eat right, forced to tra- <laughs> train logically, condition their body. Yes. Often I get the same kind of question. Someone will come to me and ask you know, how they can become their best. And I often tell them, well, you can have anything you want as long as you're willing to sacrifice everything to get it. And that's when people generally realize that the very best version of their pickleball is reserved for the version of them that has no less than 100% commitment. That's a tricky thing for most people. Boy, you said it. You're really onto something here. And one of the things I see a lot, and I know we all see it out there, is that negative self-talk that people internally, it's probably bad enough, but even what you hear externally, when they they hit a shot Mm. and they go, oh, idiot, no, that was stupid. You know, you'd never say that to someone you cared about. And yet you're just nailing yourself with that negative self-talk. So that's one thing that gets in the way. And the other thing which you just alluded to is, and I think this is one of the most important things I write about, is what is your relationship to challenge and discipline? Mm. I mean, a lot of people see discipline, they, they think back to their high school days when they were bad and they had to be in detention or whatever, you're being disciplined. And really, when you live with discipline, if you eat right, move well, look to be your best in your relationships and and just do everything that makes you live your highest values and you do it in a disciplined way at the end of the day you feel nothing but satisfaction that's the key 100 percent. that's spot on when it dawns on someone that the challenge is the reward <laughs> yeah. and, and, and it's not standing on top of a podium it's the continual adventure they're going through how to get over this hump, how to beat that player that you really need to beat, how to finally get most of your third shot. All these little things that add up to the human experience inside the pickleball world, those are the real wins. And you know, you always meet, and we've talked about it, you always know when you meet someone who just gets it. And yeah, they're just yeah. a, a joy to play with and be around. I have a funny feeling you're one of those people, mate. So I, I try to be, to, just like you. Yeah. We're, we're going to have to get on the court sometime for sure. I'm ready to go, man. It'd be a lot of fun. I think the first time I ever met you, you were helping run a clinic at Bobby Riggs, and I was one of the plebes uh, learning. And yeah, I picked that up from you right away. So uh, it's good to be out there with those kind of people. So I think that we could all use more of this. Let's try to be that type of person for other people as well. Definitely. On that note, I want to ask, firstly, how can people find your book and what's next for you? We'll start to tie this up, put a little bow on it. Yeah, you can find Pickleball and the Art of Living on the Mothership, which is Amazon, of course. Just type that in or type in my name or even type in Pickleball book and it will come up. And the subtitle is The Power of Positive Dinking. So uh, that's hard to miss. I, I just I still have people occasionally that will will look at it first blush the power of positive drinking. I said, yeah, that works. That works too. Yeah. But, uh, and then um, they can also go to my website, which is mikebrannon.com. I think most of us can spell Mike, but Brannon is B-R-A. N-O-N.com. And I, I have features and blogs on there, which expand on some of the points from the book. And I try to add some funny stuff in there. And I've got pictures of puppies. And so uh, it's, a, it's a happy place to be. You can't go wrong with pictures of puppies, really. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, that's that's yeah. my artist uh, profile picture. Instead of me uh, sitting there with a pipe and a tweed jacket, I decided to put something nice with my ugly mug. So I, th- I threw my puppy in there next to me. And so it, it's, it works mm-hmm. as a distraction. And it's a puppy named Cabo, I hear. So yeah, you get more cool points there. 
that's my wife and I's happy place. We love being down in Mexico. So uh, yeah, now we have a little Mexico with us all the time. So it works out good. And as far as my future projects go, just want to continue to enjoy and have fun. And I am putting the finishing touches on another little pickleball book for seniors. Specifically, I, I lighten up on all of the spiritual and uh, self-improvement stuff and just limit it to pickleballers of a certain age who want to either get into the sport and, or enjoy more of it if they're already into it. And it's a much shorter book and much more, uh, I think, even much more on the humorous side. So uh, I hope people can enjoy that too when it eventually comes out. Fantastic. Well, I say this a lot, but I truly mean it this time. It's been an absolute honor and a privilege to have you on the show, Matt. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful. Can't wait to see you out there on the court today, my friend. Good stuff. Take care of yourself and we'll see you on the court. Morgan, thank you so much for your time, buddy. Pleasure, mate. You too. Cheers. This podcast was powered by Selkirk. This podcast is also brought to you by the next generation of Selkirk Paddle, the Vanguard. Well, that was indeed an adventure, wasn't it? I know I learned a few things. Hope you did too. Until next time, I'm Morgan Evans, and this has been More or Less Pickleball.